On February 10th, 1990, seven people were shot execution-style in the office of Las Cruces Bowl. Despite clear sketches of the assailants and very quick action from law enforcement, the case has remained unsolved for 31 years. Here are the details. That day started out completely normal for Melissa Repass. Her mother, Stephanie Scenic, was the manager at the bowling alley, and Melissa and her friend Amy Hauser had come along to help open the business. The only other person there was the chef, Ida Holgen. According to Melissa, she and Amy had gone into the office to ask Stephanie for quarters for the candy machines, but upon leaving the office, two men confronted them and forced them back inside at gunpoint. Soon, Ida was rounded up as well, and the four women were made to lie on the ground while one of the men emptied a safe and stole three to $4,000. Around this time, Steve Turan, the mechanic, had entered the building with his two small children. He had been unable to find a babysitter that day, so he intended to leave them in the bowling alley's daycare. When he stumbled onto the scene in the office, he and his girls were made to lie with the others. At this point, the gunmen opened fire. They fired 25 times with a 22 caliber pistol and shot all seven of the people in the office. The men then set fire to the scene and left them for dead. Miraculously, Melissa was still alive and still conscious. She had just learned how to call for help in an emergency the week before, so she dialed 911 at 8.33 a.m. The call has been recorded and is absolutely chilling to listen to. I'm going to play it for you guys right now, and keep in mind that Melissa is only 12 years old at this time. Okay, Melissa. She said they locked them in the office. She doesn't know if they're still there or not. 
don't, Melissa? Yes, I can see it. Okay. Can I get the fire extinguisher? Fire department, too? Yes. She says she smells smoke. They may have lit the building on fire. No, it is on fire. It is on fire. It is. Okay, Melissa. Can I go get the... by utility one? Oh, ow. Okay, Melissa, we've got them coming, hon. We've got them coming. If somebody oh, calling my mommy. Okay, Melissa, there's a police officer there now, okay? There is? Yes, there is. He's going to try and find you. We're in the office. Just tell me. And I have 33 traffic. coming. They're just down the street. Huh? She advises all seven are shot. They're injured. They're in the office. Where's the office at, Melissa? Right Help. In the door, in the front desk, and then you take a right, and we're right in the building. Okay. She says you go in, in the first desk, take a right, and right there at the office. Okay, I'm giving the directions on how to get to you, to the police officers that are there. So we've got them rolling. Okay? You be, gotta be brave. Gotta be strong now. Okay? Oh, God. It's gonna burn us right now. Okay. Can you see flames? Yeah. Okay. It's burning us. Okay. Oh, I got bullets in my feet. <laughs> okay. The oh. bullets in my head. You bullet the bullets in your head, too? <laughs> So police were dispatched to the scene quickly, and unfortunately the crime scene was in terrible shape. They had to remove everybody from the scene and extinguish the fire, which destroyed all the evidence they might have had. 13-year-old Amy Hauser was declared dead on the scene, as well as Steve Turan and his 6-year-old daughter, Paula Holgin. Valerie, his 2-year-old daughter, was still alive and rushed to the hospital, but was unfortunately declared dead on arrival. Melissa, her mother Stephanie, and Ida Holgin were all alive and were also rushed to the hospital. As quickly as they could, police set up roadblocks and screened anyone traveling in and out of Las Cruces. They also enlisted the help of the U.S. Border Patrol and had the Army searching with helicopters, but the men could not be found. Composite sketches were drawn up from the descriptions Ida and Melissa gave. There were two men, one older and one younger, both Hispanic. The younger man was described as being about 5'10", 170 pounds, and he had dark hair and light eyes. The older man was 5'7", 140 pounds, with salt and pepper hair and dark skin. Ron Sinek was the owner of the bowling alley and Stephanie's father. He happened to be on a golfing trip in Arizona on the day of the incident and was very unhelpful in the investigation. He reopened the bowling alley just a week after the massacre, which caused several raised eyebrows. There were theories that the massacre was connected to Ron, as he was known to be reckless with money and rumored to be involved in some shady business. Ron's youngest son, RJ, who was the bartender at the alley, was also considered, because there were rumors of him having a cocaine addiction and performing drug transactions at the alley. Both Ron and RJ were looked into by police, but no evidence was found to suggest their involvement. In 2010, Charlie Min began work on a film called A Nightmare in Las Cruces. Twenty years after the incident, there was a lot less attention on the case, and it had long gone cold. 
Min hoped to rekindle the public's interest in the case and call for further investigation. Stephanie died from complications related to her injuries in 1999, but the film contained interviews with the other two surviving victims, Ida and Melissa. Also interviewed were Audrey Turan, Steve's widow and the mother of the two girls, and Gloria Woods, Amy's mother. A civil suit against Ron Scenic occurred in 1995, and Woods reported that she had been followed by Scenic's lawyers during a smoke break and was offered $30,000 to settle the case. Woods said, Why don't you slap me in the face? Not only no, but hell no. I'd rather have nothing than take that. One moment in Audrey Turan's interview really struck me. Valerie, her and Steve's two-year-old daughter, was shot right in the middle of her forehead, and the bullet lodged at the back of her skull. This means the gunman must have been looking at her face, probably staring her right in the eyes as he shot her. She was two years old, practically a baby. Cases like this where children are brutally murdered are so hard for me, and for most other people. How could someone do this? How could anyone just enter an establishment and shoot and kill children? The oldest person who was killed that day was only 26. The youngest was two. They had so much life ahead of them, and it was all taken away in a flash. I just can't imagine being so heartless. Originally, it was believed that the men were from the Las Cruces area. Later on, there were more theories that they had come from out of state and were doing a job, meaning they had been hired. I'm not sure which is worse. There was no DNA evidence, but tons of fingerprints were recovered. Unfortunately, none of them led to any answers. On the 30th anniversary of the massacre last year, a $30,000 reward was offered to anyone who could provide information, and even though the case is so old, LCPD still receives tons of tips, especially in February around the anniversary. If you know anything, tips can be submitted anonymously to 1-800-222-8577, online at nmcrimestoppers.org, or through the Crime Stoppers app, P3Tips. This case is so hard for me to cover. It's easy to write down all the facts and just read them off of a script, but watching A Nightmare in Las Cruces, I felt sick with just how violent and horrible this crime is. I personally have a soft spot for children, and I just, I cannot imagine someone breaking into establishment and murdering children and just having no remorse, just... It's beyond evil. I seriously recommend watching A Nightmare in Las Cruces. The reenactments of the massacre are really hard to watch at times, but it tells the story so well, and it features so many interviews from the victims and the family members of the victims. And it made me really feel for Audrey Turan and Gloria Woods. Just the fact that they sent their children off on a regular day and then they never saw them again. I have a soft spot for children. I, I can't stand to see them killed like this. It's so vicious. This happened 31 years ago now. The Las Cruces Bowl has since closed down, but the building is still standing. It's maybe a mile from campus on East Amador Avenue. I drove past it the other day before starting research for this, and I just had to take a minute and think, wow, that's, that's where it happened, you know? 
when violent crimes like these happen, you don't ever think it'll happen to you. But the fact that this happened in Las Cruces of all towns, there's not that much crime here, at least compared to Albuquerque, where I'm from. But it's just, it's so shocking and appalling. The 911 call is also very hard to listen to, but it always sticks out to me how strong Melissa is. This girl has five bullets in her head, and she's calling the police and helping them. And without the police, Ida and Stephanie probably wouldn't have survived. The building was on fire, and everyone was unconscious, but Melissa stayed so calm. Especially considering that she was a 12-year-old girl. I hate that she had to go through that at such a young age. And in A Nightmare in Las Cruces, there are a lot of interviews with Melissa, and it's heartbreaking to have to watch her relive the massacre. The general consensus in this case is that it was not a robbery. The men only stole about $3,000, which wasn't all of the money in the office. And Melissa had reported that they seemed to be searching for something. Now, of course, we don't know what they were searching for, but it definitely lends to the theory that they were hired to commit this crime and came from out of state to do it. In 1991, there were a few more murders committed in a yogurt shop against four teenage girls. This happened in Austin, Texas, and it has a lot of similarities with the Las Cruces bowling alley massacre. The girls had all also been shot with a 22 caliber pistol. The Austin Police Department had collected DNA from an unknown male. Three of the four girls had been shot and left in the shop after it was set on fire, so their bodies were severely charred. But 13-year-old Amy Ayers was found in a different part of the shop, and she was not charred. She had only received second-degree and very early third-degree burns on most of her body. She had also been shot in the head, but the bullet had missed her brain, so it's thought that the killers had stacked all the bodies on top of each other, but Amy pulled herself off and crawled away. There isn't that much to connect these cases, aside from the M.O. of robbing an establishment and killing all the people inside with a 22 caliber pistol and also setting the building on fire. They happened relatively close, about two years apart. The Bowling Alley Massacre happened in February of 1990, and the Yogurt Shop murders happened in December of 1991. So there was only about two years in between the murders, and Las Cruces and Austin aren't that far apart, considering the entire U.S., the yogurt shop murders were also never solved, but there were some suspects. The police actually charged a few teenage boys with the murders because they had said some incriminating things, but the convictions were actually overturned because the confessions were not valid for whatever reason. They ended up not being convicted. If they were the assailants of the yogurt shop murders, 
it would break the connection between the yogurt shop and the bowling alley massacre because the bowling alley massacre had two assailants and they were both adults. So that's pretty much all there is to this case. It's still unsolved to this day, 31 years later, but it's relatively simple in terms of what happened. This case is particularly close to my heart because I am very fond of children and don't like to see them murdered. And also it happened less than a mile away from campus where I currently live. It's scary to think that something so horrible could just happen. If you have any questions about this case or just want to talk to someone about it or recommend another case for me to cover, go ahead and email minordetailspod at gmail.com. That's minordetailspod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Minor Details, and I hope you join me next time for a brand new episode. <laughs>